Listen up, all you New York fans. Veteran New York sports talk host John Dostromsky gives his unique take on all the big stories in the Big Apple and beyond, including guest conversations, gambling picks, and reactions from you, the listener. Check out New York, New York with John Dostromsky on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Before we get going today, a quick disclaimer. Uh, I'm in a uh, New Hampshire bed and breakfast hotel room with my almost three-year-old son. So there might be some um, young child noises in the background as this podcast goes on. Aubrey, say hi. Hi. (laughs) Let's get going. (laughs) Parental indulgence uh, is required. media consumers brian curtis and david shoemaker of the ringer here along with producer erica cervantes coming up on today's show david you know journalists are doing their annual evaluations right now you'd get on a zoom call with your boss and talk about all the things you did we are going to get to do our evaluations Mm -hmm. of them okay you know state your accomplishments (laughs) what did you do this year We, we we get to do our version But first, I want to talk to you about a story that is preoccupying all of sports media and certainly uh, all the texts on my cell phone right now, which is about the athletic. A favorite subject here on the press box. Will someone please buy the athletic already? Well, the sports website is in the news again, thanks to an article by front office sports' AJ Perez and Michael McCarthy. You remember, David, we heard rumors the athletic and, and Axios were a thing. We heard gambling websites. Back in June, we heard the Athletic and the New York Times mm-hmm. were a thing. Well, now the New York Times is apparently back. Perez and McCarthy report the New York Times has re-emerged as a potential buyer for the Athletic. And I can tell you, talking to a few writers at that site over the last couple of days, that they expect this deal to happen. At least reading management's responses or non-responses, they think the athletic is going to be sold to the New York times. What, what do you make of such a deal? It feels like, it feels like a sort of appropriate target for the New York times, given the sort of acquisitions they've made over the past several years. This feels like a very, it just in the abstract, a very timesy acquisition. Um, And certainly they have the money to pull it off. Although it does feel like, in some sense, a much bigger scale, larger scale acquisition than, than 
you know, you might assume. <laughs> uh, it, it feels like a lot of just, it, it just feels like bringing that in house is going to require so much work um, and doing and making any sort of changes to the athletic product is it's, it's going to be quite a task um, it, for whatever New York, I mean, New York times management figures are going to be tasked with it. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I think for both parties, I think uh, we don't know what the dollar figure is going to be or whatever else. I mean, certainly this is a different sort of scale of acquisition of plotting the future of whatever you want to say. than I think probably some people associated with the athletic and certainly many outsiders would have expected a couple years ago. Right. I mean, they were trying to change the journalism industry. Um, now they're being swallowed up by, well, sort of the top line of the journalism industry. So, uh, I mean, it, it, it makes some sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. Let's unpack, uh, if we can for a moment, the way it makes sense. I mean, I guess one way to think of it is as a product of the New York Times, right? The New York Times has the crosswords thing that is its own separate thing. It has cooking. So is the athletic in the way mm -hmm. you see it another one of those things, not exactly part of the Times itself, but this kind of adjacent business that they use to get subscriptions? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's also, I mean, I think I would probably compare it more to some of the uh, podcast properties they've brought on. You know, they've been trying, they were trying to build their own in-house stuff and had some success with that, obviously. Um, but then they started just acquiring existing podcasts and they've had, I think, I think they've realized it's a lot easier to sort of get a, to establish a footprint, um, you know, bringing on some with some, with bring by bringing on some established properties. I, um, I think it will, I think they will probably largely keep it separate, although it's really easy to imagine the ways that it could kind of seep into the regular product, right? I mean, there's uh, athletic does enough national stories and certainly has people in place to cover national stories in a way that in the sports world, the New York, the, the times isn't always st fully staffed to do, although people in house, I'm sure would take exception to me saying that. Um, but it's easy to imagine, a, you know, a, a, an op-ed column in the sports world now and then that would sort of lead you to subscribe to the athletic, the New York times version of the athletic or whatnot and have it, but, but, but to kill, still keep it separate. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the the adding extra bodies part is really interesting because the when we first heard this during the summer, I thought, well, this doesn't make any sense because sports is such a tiny, tiny part on purpose of the New York Times. It's as small a part of the Times as it is, you know, a smaller part of the Times than it is than just about any newspaper in America. You know, they they don't and they don't have a, a huge number of people, have a lot of good people working in that section, but they don't have a lot of people working there. So if there were a story that let's say was in San Diego or Seattle, could you imagine the times, you know, saying, Hey, can you write something that we would run in the paper? Also in addition to whatever you're writing for the athletic there, I could totally imagine that. And you know, the other thing is I was looking at the athletics best of 2021 list that they sent around today. And the first thing on the list, and I suspect the thing that they are as proud as anything of is their investigations. You know, those big investigations that people like mm -hmm. Katie Strang have done, the Astro sign stealing thing way back when we could go through some of the greatest hits. We had Tim Cato and the big piece he did on Mark Cuban and Haralabob and that whole situation. And you could imagine when the Times does a big investigative piece with like ProPublica, right, on other subjects, could yep. they also do the New York Times and the Athletic kind of a co-branded big investigative story that runs on both sides. 
Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it does. You talk about the scale of the athletic. It's hard to imagine anybody buying the athletic and not, to some degree, trying to refashion it, whether that's streamlining it, uh, cutting the number of bodies, or, well, I mean, it, you 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 acquire something of that scale, something that's still in its sort of, in a lot of ways, in some sort of formative stages, and it's hard to imagine that you wouldn't want to make some pretty big changes. So, in that sense. I mean, I think that's a question on its, own, you know, in in and of itself, whether the what really how the times envisions the athletic going forward. Yeah, um, and just about everybody I talk to there expects it to be pared down in some way. Well, it's an interesting thing because both, I mean, the 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 scope, the breadth, the 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 size of the athletic is its greatest asset, and also, you know. I'm sure from a bookkeeping point of view, it's biggest, biggest albatross sort of, you know, I mean, so it's, it'll, it, it it could, I don't think anything would really surprise me. Yeah. Um, And it feels like that's, by the way, something they've realized over the years. Remember at the beginning, it was like, we're going to cover every beat. mm -hmm. We want somebody here. We want somebody here. Oh, wait, there are no fans of that particular team or very few fans that would pay for stuff. We want it. We want a writer there. And often it's going to be a really highly paid writer. And it feels like over the last couple of years, they're like, yeah, not so much. And we're still going to try to have a big wide cover, a big wide swath of the sports world, but we're going to make those choices a little bit more strategically like every other media company on the planet. Yeah. I, I think to a more general, to your more general question about the, what the times is going to do. I mean, I think there has to be some realization within the New York times that sports is not a separate category, right? That like sports news is national news. Um, and this is, you know, everything from like, you know, big, I mean, the way COVID like kind of was an NBA story in a lot of ways at the beginning, you know, all the way through to that big Bishop Sycamore write-up that the Times did recently where they had like four staffers on it and made it, it was like a big, big investigative piece, you know, with like, a, it was really well-written and really well-conceived. These are stories that are sports stories, but they're bigger than sports, you know? I mean, and it's, um, I mean, you can even look at like, TMZ, who they tried to launch TMZ Sports, what was it, five years ago, 10 years ago, and it just was, a, it just totally fizzled. But now you look at TMZ and half their content is sports. It's because it's not a vertical. It's, it is the entertainment world, right? And I think to the times, there's a lot of, there, there would be a large degree to which covering sports news is just covering news, you know? And so it makes sense to be staffing up in that area and to be acquiring, you know, something like this to get you going. If there's a strength to the New York Times sports section, it's exactly those stories you're talking about. Those big stories that seem to cross over into something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, NBA in China, uh, Bishop Sycamore, you know, NFL behind the scenes business, right? The, the, yep. the sort of league business, those Ken Belson scoops. Like that, that is what they do well. So yes, like imagine a future where the athletic is part of the New York Times solar system and they can just do those, but do them more often and do them with more bylines on them and more expert bylines on them. Mm-hmm. I could absolutely imagine that. And and we should also say the athletic is very New York timesy or at least very newspapery in its approach to stories. Like the athletic is not the ringer. <laughs> no mm-hmm. offense to either party, right? But the athletic is not the ringer in the sense of oh this is about, you know, these kind of podcasts and about this kind of writing and about this kind of you know, sort of zaniness. Now the athletic spirit is very newspapery. So if you can just imagine something that the New York times would look at and go, Oh, that reads kind of like us, or that is conceived in the same spirit 
that we conceive, you know, articles and podcasts and other things in. I can totally imagine that aesthetically a lot more than I can imagine just about any other sports site on the planet. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the Times has had some sort of, you know, issues with as an institution of its of its type naturally will has had some issues sort of adapting to a lot of what the Internet is doing right now. Right. And 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 part of that is that you bring in the luminaries of the current world and whatever genre, Internet genre you're talking about, and they don't always mesh with the Times infrastructure. Um this is a, this is an example that that you're right could be uh, a big win in the opposite direction. I still find it weird though. If you told me a couple of years ago, you know the the Athletic will finally get sold, they're going to find that buyer they've been looking for. It's the New York Times. <laughs> what is that? What? Like like I actually could imagine Axios or the gambling company or whatever a lot easier than I could have the New York Times. It's just funny. And yeah. I just, you know, that is not a marriage that I could wrap my mind around. I also do think that like, again, in a weird way, and I said, I was talking to Bill Simmons on his pod about this earlier today, the smallness of the time staff in a way kind of allows this, I think the sports staff that is because you're Mm -hmm. not duplicating something the times already does. Like Politico was just for sale. The times about Politico. It's like, Oh wait, you've got your white house correspondence. We've got our white house correspondent. You know, what are we doing here? That's just really not the case with the athletic and the New York times. Like there's just, there's going to be very little overlap. I was trying to think like who, who at the New York times covers something like what the athletic already does. It's not, it's not very many people. So no, maybe I mean, that's you, the you would have said Mark Stein, but he's not there anymore. No. Yeah. Mark Stein. I was like Tyler Kepner on baseball and Jason Stark and Kenny Rosenthal over at the athletic. Okay. Right. But they'd probably, you know, take all three of those people covering baseball. It's uh, it's really interesting. David, let's do the Overword Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was yeah. so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always, always gratefully received. Uh, headline from Bloomberg, David, and I want you to pay attention to this new and exciting invention. Giant kites, I'm quoting here, giant kites that drag cargo ships across the ocean will be trialed next year as the industry attempts to decarbonize. Giant kites dragging cargo ships. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, uh, I'm sorry, haven't you just invented sales? Thanks to Dennis Reichold for that one. From the world of entertainment, David, there is a new Netflix biopic about Saints coach Sean Payton. And in this biopic, Payton will be played by Kevin James, the star of the King of Queens. There's an overworked Twitter joke to write, wait, is this part of the bounty gate punishment? Are we still dealing that out to be in a Kevin James <laughs> biopic? Thanks to Lorenzo Quiog for that one. Finally, David, a COVID-related headline from News Hub about a story that's on everyone's mind, quoting here, scientists fear Omicron could team up with Delta to make a super variant. Omicron could team up with Delta to make a super variant. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, wow, all this to beat a 37-year-old LeBron James. Thanks to Nels McLaughlin and Scott Tobias, if you <laughs> predicted the week when NBA teams would in fact be battling Omicron more than their opponents, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. 
By the way, I'll just stick this in here. You and I were doing those 80s, 90s commercial fiction power rankings last week. Mm-hmm. Not 90 seconds after the episode went up, I cannot tell you how many tweets we got that said, uh, guys, Tom Clancy belongs in these rankings. And we didn't mention Tom Clancy? We didn't oh mention Tom God. Clancy. I, I've been modeling my glasses choices after him for most of my life, so I feel terrible <laughs> about that. <laughs> Tom Clancy had some awesome glasses. Anyway, apologies to all friends and family of Tom Clancy. You are a top five uh, we're top five commercial fiction author of the 80s and 90s. Clive Cussler is off the list. That's, that's what we're doing here. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. All right, David, time for the notebook dump, and we're going to do our year in media awards. I threw this open on Twitter and said, give, give us some suggestions. What should we talk about? And Adam Zalanka suggested Joe Biden's digital divide. I'm sorry, we're not doing Joe Biden's digital divide. <laughs> the actual <laughs> the actual year in media awards. Uh, first off for you, David, image of the year. Let's call it images of the year, because how about Officer Eugene Goodman? trying to hold off the insurrectionists at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, and really every image that came out of the Capitol that day. That has got to be, I mean, the most arresting thing we saw uh, on television or in print in 2021 and maybe a long time before that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, when you think back on the last year, I mean, it's still current news, so you, I guess you could categorize it as recency bias, but it's not. It's the most important story of... I mean, the past 
decade. I mean, it's it, it's just incredible to even think back on. And there and those photos that you referenced, you know, were part of the were part of the experience. You know, we're part of the uh, we're part of the 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 fear and the the just the kind of uncertainty that that the whole thing was tied up in. So yeah, I mean, it, it was just arresting. No pun intended. I remember I was sitting in my office that day and I had this little TV on uh, that was on behind me and I kind of had it on the news that day because that was the day the election was being certified and just kind of wanted to have it on as background noise. And I'm thinking something mildly interesting will happen today or there'll be some kind of perhaps will be some little hiccup in this process. And then just hearing it behind me as I was looking at my computer and turning around and seeing those people massing outside the Capitol and then the people entering the Capitol and texting you and being like, dude, I don't know what the, oh, what the hell is going on. But, you know, they are there are people that are pouring into the Capitol right now trying to change the result of the U.S. election. Trying to basically potentially harm U.S. officials that are saying that Joe Biden won the presidency. And it almost is so crazy and so awful that it's still just saying, first of all, just saying that this happened in 2021 is kind of mind blowing. And then saying that this happened at all, I don't know where you are, but I I almost cannot get my mind around it. Yeah. I mean, just reliving, revisiting it so much now, the congressional investigations and all the coverage that's getting the the released text messages, everything else. Um, You know, I mean, it's... It's, it's. I mean, what a lot of the text messages that have been released from various con- congressmen and senators have, have done is, you know, remind us all that we're not being gaslit about this whole thing, that it did actually happen the way that we felt it in the moment and everyone else felt it the same way. And it'll be a part of our, you know, collective memory, hopefully forever. And, and you know, who knows if well, it'll happen again, but, but let's hope not. That walks us right up to our next entry here, which is the story placement question of the year, which is... Wait a second. You have a threat to American democracy, one that didn't just end, as you point out, on January 6th, but one that is now happening through various means, right, of, you know, trying to pass new election laws, trying to take over the state apparatus of elections, which refused to steal the election on behalf of Donald Trump in 2020. How how do you cover that? I mean, we understand you cover it a lot. You cover it vigorously, but you know, how do you basically have something, a story that is about the foundations of American democracy and weigh that against all the other things you're supposed to be covering on a daily basis? Oh, yeah. I mean, that. listen, that's been since in the entire Trump presidency. That was, I mean, people cited that as one of his kind of great, the great revolutions of governance that if you just, that if everything's crazy, if every day something crazy happens, then you can kind of you know, it's impossible for the media to cover it in a coherent way. This is obviously the kind of the apex of that. Um, you have just enormous things, something so significant going on. It's almost like the, the journalism infrastructure doesn't quite have the tools to put, I think I mentioned before that, that onion headline, just like, holy fucking shit, man walks on fucking moon. Like you keep, <laughs> like there, there's not the ability to do that. And so in some ways, an event like that almost gets, inherently downplayed because it's not it, because they don't have the the font size or whatever to to make something seem that as significant as it needs to 
That is exactly what it is because it's not like people aren't covering this. It was the on the Atlantic's cover and the most recent issue or, or the issue before that. And it's in the newspaper every day, but you're right. It's almost like you just lack this permanent onion headline, uh, red warning light Chiron on cable news to just be like, we really can't do anything. If you, if you, if the democracy of the United States is not functioning, <laughs> a lot, a lot of what we're doing right now, the stuff about what's happening in the Biden white house and what's happening in Kamala Harris's office. And even some of the stuff about the coronavirus, like if, if our democracy doesn't function, it's not going to matter. It just really isn't going to matter. And again, it's like journalists are doing a fantastic job covering the story, but it's almost like, you know, the, I don't know how to say it, the language of journalism, the tools of journalism just inherently almost balance other stories out. Like I'm looking at the New York times website right now. And I see like 18 sports highlights from 2021 worth watching again. I, I would like to watch some sports highlights, but I also like democracy to survive uh, into 2022 in the United States. So who uh, sports media story of the year, David, this is an easy one. Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor uh, by Kevin Draper of the New York times. <laughs> is there anything that's even close? And and I count the athletic and everything else in that. No, there's nothing else that's even close. And I mean, and it, and the, the piece was excellently reported, well-written um, and just sort of, poignant right like it came it 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 felt like it embodied a sort of bigger idea it certainly did and and at a a time and and our at a time in just kind of political and social history um it was a really significant piece when it came out and it was and it and it and it um you know obviously it's still something we're talking about now it's just a really excellent just a really excellent really important piece yeah, let's just count the things that it touched on, right? Like the the general sense of newsroom reckonings, as we've been calling them, that have been happening across the country. ESPN's own questions on that very same front. You know, if if you want to get into this whole thing too, of you know, just just the weirdness of what happened, right? Rachel Nichols is having again, not to defend anything she said, but she's having a private conversation. And by this strange quirk of technology, that conversation winds up being downloaded from her hotel room in the bubble to the ESPN mothership, where it is then accessed and shared at ESPN. I mean, I still, again, it's just one of those things, even saying that part out loud, we've almost processed it so much that saying it out loud again, it is an absolutely bizarro and wild story. And now both of them are gone from ESPN and ESPN is still figuring out uh, the aftermath of that thing. Media, media story of the year, David. I went with the fall of Ozzy by Ben Smith, oh, yeah. also of the New York Times. Anything, uh, anything else on the level of that absolutely weird story? No, and it was a multi-part story, right? I mean, where it was, you know, the big, the big, the thrust of it was a two-parter. It was a very modern story, at least in my reading, in the sense that the first, the first half of it wasn't the death knell. The first half of it was a like, there's a story here, story, right? Which is something that you see a lot, kind of emerging out of the internet, right? I mean, it was a sort of story that, like a blog, that something like Gawker would have written, you know, where it's just like, I don't know. I don't know why, but all these sources are pointing me in this direction and I'm going to write 2,500 words about it, right? And then the story starts to materialize out of it. You saw a lot of that in the Me Too movement too, where where major stories were being written 
that would require multiple follow-ups to tell the full story because it was hard to get people on the record, you know? And this isn't the same story in that sort of sphere, but it is interesting that it kind of, it, it, it was a, it was a, you know, the sequel came followed closely on the heels of the, uh, of the first film, um, to, to stretch the metaphor. It was a, it, it was just an incredible piece. It had everybody talking and again, speaks to the media age that we're in an entirely different way. Right. I mean, it was, it was, uh, a, a, a media world that, that we've all sort of felt like that we've seen from a distance and had questions about, uh, not specific to Ozzy. There's definitely other people, other outlets that fall into a similar category, and, um, but this one was a real, the, the Ben Smith's pieces were real TikToks of the just sort of inanity of the whole enterprise. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm still sort of enthralled by that story. Magazine media story. I thought the most about David, uh, went with a tie here, the bad art friend by Robert Colker. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also Peter Kiefer's piece about Yashar Ali. Oh, yeah. Both of those are really fantastic. Also both felt very of the moment. I mean, the whole Yashar Ali thing, I think, was, I mean, you and I you and I had Peter on the podcast. And part of it is that's just this whole explainer, even for those of us who were consuming it all in real time of who is Yashar Ali and what is he doing? You know, something, a, a question that wasn't, I don't think, really explained satisfyingly until Kiefer's piece. And then the bad art friend piece, man, talk about something that just touches on things on ownership of stories on all these uh, kinds of things that that was such a well done and such a just a very strange. I say that in a as a compliment, strange kind of magazine piece, the way it was written, because it just unfolded in front of you and seemed to kind of open up like a flower. But I, I am still I still think about that. And uh, I'm jealous of both of those pieces. Same here. Uh, Bad Art Friend goes without saying that it, you know, I, I can't think of a piece in my lifetime that lent itself to more debate, but also lent itself to more like, like well, dispassion is not the word, passionate sort of both sidesy debates. Like how many times did you talk about the story and just kind of talk yourself into the, uh, like the, the, all, the, 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 the opposite point of view by the time that you were done making your, making your case. I mean, it's, and that's what the story is about. You know I mean? It was, it was, it was, um, just a wild story that everybody was talking about and still is, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it, it gets to a lot of questions that are sort of unanswerable. And, and on that, on those terms alone, it was really important. Um, to take something, I mean, just to, to go on your, your, your point about the Yashar Ali piece, I, the explainer aspect of it was really, was really central. And we've seen a lot of pieces like that over the past year, multiple years. We're in a new world in, in a lot of ways with journalism where, you know, it used to be 10 years ago or something, we would all be writing pieces that were like, explaining why this thing that you weren't aware of was important, but it would always be a little bit tongue in cheek, right? It was like, let me explain why, why, uh, you know, balance beams are changing the NBA or like, you know, something, you know, that it would be, it would be an argument in favor of something. Now it's like the explainer is so necessary to so many of the important stories that we read because there are just increasingly central parts of our political and social world that are not, that, that we're not, that we don't have a grasp on, right? They're not being covered on in the daily newspaper, on TV or anything like that. And so um, 
Kiefer's piece is a great example. It was just so, it was one of those pieces that you read and you're like, I didn't realize, I didn't know going in how important this was going to be when I came out of it, you know? And, and it's, it, it was, you know, just a fantastic piece of writing. Yeah. I mean, in Ali's case, here's this figure who's on Twitter break in and in, in, in other publications too, breaking news mm-hmm. who is both boosting the work of other famous legacy media reporters and being boosted by them. Mm-hmm. And you and I are reading this piece going, we really don't have any idea who this person was the whole time. They just become yeah. part of our media ecosystem. And, you know, if you had asked us either one of us before that, like, who is you, Charlie? I think we could have offered a pretty good, um, you know, a pretty good summary and, and named a few of the scoops and things like that. But then just to have that all been like, oh, wow, we don't know anything about this person. Yep. And a lot of the people who were interacting and, and again, getting work boosted by Ali on Twitter didn't know anything about him either. Really, really interesting story. Uh, this nomination comes from nephew Kyle Crichton, David, the mandatory explainer of the year. Oh, here we go. <laughs> nephew Kyle says how everyone explained NFTs. <laughs> Kind of a great moment in like, we're talking to you old person media. Like we know you don't understand what this means. Yeah. We know you're seeing this term. We are going to, you know, hold your hand. And by the way, as I get older, I feel more sympathetic to this kind of thing, but we are going to hold your hand and explain to you what NFTs are. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it, listen. I still don't entirely know, but I'm I am indebted to every <laughs> to every explainer that's been out there that's like tried to get me halfway there. Uh, it's it's um, a very bizarre, but like so perfectly apt example of something that just comes from utter oblivion into being just part of the parlance. And and uh, you know, our our journalism world did a did a valiant job of trying to make sense of it all. Please keep explaining to David and I what Please. NFTs are. Still haven't gotten the choice. I do want to come back to your point about explainers because I, I was having this conversation on the pod the other day with Dan Diamond. I think it's so fascinating. We were talking about the usefulness of explainers versus the usefulness of straight up newspaper articles the other day mm-hmm. because he's reporting on COVID for the Washington Post. And he wrote this big Omicron story with a couple of other co-authors that was really long, really detailed, very eloquently hedged between here's what we know, here's what we don't know. This is pretty early in the Omicron um, news cycle. Here's what we know. Here's how dangerous it might be, but we're not sure. And I was joking with him because he had literally put the money quote from the story in the 31st paragraph (laughs) of the story, which was comparing Omicron to a Frankenstein variant. Okay. Then the very same Dan Diamond writes up this thing for his Facebook page the other day about what I'm explaining to my family about Omicron. So this is like the entirely, the, the, the completely separate journalistic approach. One is the formal Washington Post news article. This one is what I'm telling my family and friends about Omicron right before the holidays when people are traveling and seeing other people. Yeah. The second thing went absolutely bonkers traffic wise. Like Piers Morgan is retweeting it. Every 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 media you figure you know is retweeting it. And again, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but it's so interesting for a story like Omicron to me, and really, and, and a lot of stories that are similarly complicated, what's the best way to do it? 
Should you have that hedge thing? Should there, or should you have somebody who's smart like Dan going, you know what? Here's what I think I know. Here is the plain language, you know, print it out and laminate it and put it in your wallet thing that you can take when you're getting on the airplane this winter. It's a really interesting question. It absolutely is. And I mean, and I don't think it has to be an either or. The question is like, you know, about if it's a, you know, a value question, there's certainly value to, to both. But uh, uh, the sort of ways that those two things interact, I think, will be one of the sort of most interesting kind of subtextual stories of journalism moving forward. Absolutely. All right. Uh, got a couple more for you, David. Entrance of the year, media entrance of the year, Peyton and Eli Manning. Oh, that yeah. was an easy one. The Manning cast on ESPN2. Really, really cool and innovative, and I still love watching it. Uh, the graceful media exit of the year, David. I'm giving it to Nick Kristoff, New York Times columnist who finally officially announced he is running for governor of Oregon. Yeah, remarkably smooth exit, right? I mean, you even when people leave with the best of intentions now, it seems like there's always a, a some sort of trailing story that uh, well, whatever. But but it's but it, it 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 he he went and ran for governor. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's it was a it was a uh seemingly very like uh, you know, ethically positive thing to do and and he's and he and he's he's still do he's just doing it. It just all seems it seemed like a very normal move. So yeah. In twenty twenty one to make that kind of transition so I don't know, seamlessly, that's as graceful as you can get, man. But now it's time to scuff him up. <laughs> now it's yeah. time to send the reporters after him. Uh when he tries to hedge on controversial issues, they're gonna call him on it. We're going to get the first, is it the first Nick Kristoff hit piece? I'm sure there's been one or two or three or four out there. But let's say from a big newspaper, the first to really go after and report something embarrassing or, uh, you know, sort of annoying about Nick Kristoff. Now the graceful exit become, we get some friction to it. That's journalism, right? Nick Kristoff of all people should understand. And disgraceful media exit of the year, David, it could only be the Cuomo brothers but especially Chris Cuomo since he's in the media or was in the media, former CNN host leaving after advising his brother as a side hustle as his brother dealt with issues of sexual misconduct. Yeah. I mean, we, we covered it recently, so it seems like, you know, we've said all that we have to say, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, I see, I think I've, I'll say this for the third time. It certainly felt like after you know, over the past like six months or so that there was a sort of implicit agreement. And this is not based on anything, but it seemed like one of those you know situations where like yeah, Chris Cuomo was probably gonna make ex- his exit from CNN at some point in the not too distant future, and he was just kind of trying to do it in the least problematic moment in time possible. And then of course this tidal wave comes, and he's got to just get out. That um, they it just felt like, I mean. Disgrace is disgrace is certainly one word for it. It was a it was a, a disgraceful exit from CNN and a, obviously much more disgraceful exit from uh, New York politics for the for his brother. Do we want to go ahead and uh, do our New Year's resolution right now that we will not do any Chris Cuomo segments of any kind in 2022? Oh man! I mean, I would love to. We'll see if that's possible when he when he's the new host of Fox News Sunday. It's going to be a whole different thing now. It's it's possible if we decide it's possible, damn it. No Chris <laughs> right. Cuomo segments. It's All time right. for David Shoemaker guesses the strained pun headline. All right. Last Monday's headline about a man who got a COVID shot in a fake arm was dot, 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 was worth a shot. Today's headline comes from Susan McSweeney. It's from the New York Times, David. 
It's a review of the new movie Mother Android. Been a little, little, uh, little slow on my movie watching lately, so I had not seen Mother Android. But I'll read you the subhead here. In this sci-fi thriller, a pregnant woman and her boyfriend try to outrun hordes of vengeful robots. I'll give you a hint. Think of a popular new parent manual. What was the New York Times' strained pun headline? Wait, new, new, new meaning the book is new, or me, new just meaning it's like for new oh, parents? Yes, for new for new parents, not new oh, book, new parents. Um, uh, what is the big one? Or uh, classic, classic, uh, classic. Of the, uh, of I know, the genre. I know, I know. I'm right. It's um, uh, what to expect when you're expecting? Is that mm-hmm. it? There we go. Right. Okay, okay keep going. so what to expect when you're expecting? Uh, woman trying to outrun the vengeful the hordes of vengeful robots. What what to? Okay, it's got to be expect uh, deflect um uh inspect uh expect it's gonna guard the baby from harm. Oh, protect. What's it? Is it when you're protecting or what to protect? Um, yeah, there we go. There we go. You're, what to protect? Re- what to protect when? Oh, she's pregnant. Oh, okay. Sorry. What to protect when you're expecting. What to protect when you're expecting. How to protect it? when you're expecting. There okay. we go. That's great. It's fantastic work. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic is always by Erica Cervantes. Let me give you a little holiday schedule here before we shove off. David and I are off Friday and Monday for the holidays. Then I'm going to be back next week. David, with a new inductee into the nonfiction pantheon here on the Press Box. It's J.R. Moringer's book, The Tender Bar. Oh, yeah. Now a movie starring Ben Affleck and directed by George Clooney. Man, I have been rereading this over the last week uh, in preparation for the interview. Holy cow, that book is good. I mean, just one of those sentence by sentence, you know, push it into somebody else's hand, which I did with my wife. And it's like, you just need to read this. And it's an absolute trust me. And you will just, you know, whatever you think of this book, you're just going to love the sentence by sentence writing of the tender bar. Holy mackerel. It's good, isn't it? Uh, I'm going to have to reread it, too. I cannot wait to I cannot wait to dive in. Dave and I are then are back after the new year with more lukewarm takes about the media. Happy holidays, David. See you later, Brian. Happy holidays to you, too, and to everyone listening to this. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be a fun one. No more Chris Cuomo segments. We promise. Let's do it. <laughs>